attention to a couple things that Abigail said there in the announcement. If you haven't downloaded our app, it's an easy way to find out what's going on, but it, we've made it super easy also at the top of the app. First page you open up, top left says chair time, and those are the videos that Abigail was talking about with different staff people just saying, hey, here's what I do. And chair time is our word for how we spend time with Jesus encourage you, if there's one thing you do this year, even if it's just starting out, I'm going to try to do a couple times a week or something before I go to bed, jump in. There's seriously 20 different approaches in there that you can learn from. I have, even as I've watched our different staff and the way they do things, like I know Josh, one of the things Josh does with his prayer life, I was like, ooh, I'm going to do that. And I tried it and I was like, this is really cool. And Pastor Joe is doing something a little different with the Bible in One Year app this year. And I tried that this week. So it's great to learn from each other. And if that's something you want help with, we would love to help you. Uh, Probably one of the most important things you can do is to be with him. And he tells us he would love to meet you in his word. And so we'd love to show you how to do that. Second thing is, and she mentioned it, it's also right at the top is the chosen. If you haven't seen any of those, you can click right there and just watch it. And there are eight season, eight episodes in the first season. There's another season online, but uh, it's a great way to meet Jesus, honestly, great way to interact with him. And so we'd love for you to jump in there. Uh, We're in this new kind of in-between series called With, Not Alone in the Kingdom of God. And Pastor Daniel came to me a few weeks ago and said, hey, I think it would be a great thing at the beginning of this year to talk about relationships. And in my head, I was like, duh, yeah, we should. (laughs) That's a really good thing. Because I bet if I talked with you right now and said, hey, can you give me one thing that I could pray for? It would probably involve somebody else, somebody you're thinking about, someone you're hoping to see something work out, a kid, a parent, whatever, because we're so affected by people and relationships and God has made us this way. And so uh, today is titled Parenting Part 37. (laughs) And the reason is, is because I was like, it feels like it's weird, like the jury's out on whether or not we're good parents still right now for Lisa and me. Like it's, we've still got three kids and their hands are literally still on the Amazon star buttons. Like we could go from a four to a three just today, just with how we interact with them. And so it feels a little bit like, I don't know how to say part one, here's what you should do, but I can tell you and give you a glimpse kind of in the middle of what it's like for us. And as the Lord led me this week, the normal thing you might hear if somebody's like, hey, let's, let's go to the Bible. What does the Bible say about parenting? What should we do? And so they may go to a verse like this, Proverbs 22, train up a child in the way that he should go. And when he is old, he will not depart from it. Okay, let's do that. How do we do that? Right? And we, we look for, how can I apply this? The second verse, Ephesians 6, 4, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger. Instead, bring them up in the discipline instruction of the Lord. Both verses, excellent, awesome. Memorize them, put them on your fridge, put them on a bookmark, put them in your Bibles, pray those things, seek to do those things, but that's not what we're going to talk about today. And that's not what I felt like the Lord wanted me to go. Instead, I wanted us to find a couple of sets of parents in the Bible and look at their experience and to say, what can we learn? And many times we approach this book as an instruction manual for life. And while there are things that you can definitely find that would say, do this, don't do this, you should follow through. You know, I remember first getting married, my dad was gonna help me put in a garage door opener in our new house in Charlotte. And so we started opening up the box, you know, pulled everything out, opened up the manual book and he's like, stop. 
go inside, read that manual cover to cover before we do another thing. I was like, no way. <laughs> I'm not doing that. Let's just go. Step one. And he's like, I'm just saying you should read it all the way through. Don't approach the Bible that way. Instead, look at it as a window that when you open it, you're going to see a lot of things about you that ultimately leads you to Christ. That's what you're supposed to. So when you even you think about parenting or relationships or being with others, it's in order to get you to pursue him. So I want to show you two obvious parents. We've got a clip here from The Chosen, actually. Uh, just, and I want you just to feel what they're feeling. Okay, think if this was you and this was your about-to-be parents uh, and this was what you were faced with as you thought about, okay, let's do this thing. So watch this. Uh, there is enough wood here. Uh, I can put something together for you. There's no time. They're coming a bit faster now. All right, we can do this. Uh, try to see if you can find a spot to sit on this blanket, and uh, I'll put something together for you and clean up, huh? He needs a place to sleep. What? When he gets here, he needs a place to lie down. You make my bed, I'll make his. Already a mother, huh? <laughs> okay. my favorite part? Two, two favorite parts. One is when the goat is putting his head in the bed. She's like, get out of here. The second is Joseph picking up the poop. And they're just like, okay, let's, we, we can do this. We can do this. We can approach this. And how, but what are they feeling about this whole thing? Oh, no. What, how are we going to not mess up our kids? Now, some of you this morning may be thinking, you know what? I, my kids are long gone and I don't know the grade I would give us or my own experience as a kid and my parents was kind of, uh, so I'm just made to slip out, you know, no offense. I don't want to listen. Don't do that. Stay because the window is that the Lord wants to minister to your heart. And it may be that you do need to be parented by the Lord and through someone else, but also one of the things that I feel like the Lord would say to us this morning is there's always hope in Jesus. There's always hope in Jesus. Things that you think, ah, I missed it. I messed that up. I don't know if we did that right. God can and will restore and bring restoration. There's always hope. And so as we look at a couple of stories, I've introduced you to, obviously that's Mary and Joseph. Um, I want to start and just open God's word 
the whole idea of family and parenting and why did he come up with this in the first place? Why is it important? Why do we feel the way we do? And so open your Bibles, if you have them, to Genesis chapter one, right at the beginning, first book, first chapter, and let's see what God did and how he started this whole thing. Genesis one, verse 26, God said, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. Then jumping chapter two, verse 18, then the Lord God said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are talking. And one of the things that is kind of cool for me to learn in my own study of theology and learning is that God, one of the things you might hear is God was lonely. And so he made people. Not true. God is in perfect relationship with himself, which is kind of hard for us to understand. But the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have this perfect relationship for all eternity and chooses then to create and says, let us make man in our image, after our likeness. What does that mean? Just think about it for a second. What does it mean to be made in the image of God? At a very basic level, to resemble him, to look like him. Like the kind of thing where you would look at a kid and be like, ah, you look like your mom or you look like your dad. To resemble them, to look like him, to represent him. And there's three kind of ways. I was just doing a little study on this of how we represent or how we are made in the image of God and what differentiates us from animals and why God would say this is very good in the way he created us. But it's really crucial to understand because it helps us understand how we relate and when we feel like things are broken why they don't work. So one would just be mentally. We make choices, we reason, we logic, we create, we do things that other animals, that animals don't do. And so that's just from a mental standpoint, it's one of the ways you reflect the image of God. Morally, you have a sense of something is right, something is wrong. Even though there's a term you may hear, moral relativism is kind of a very popular concept in our world right now. What that means is it's all relative. Whether or not that's wrong, it could be wrong for you, but it may not be wrong for me. And so people are out there saying, no, I make my own choices. What God says, no, you're actually made in my image. And that sense in you that says that's wrong, or that part of you that says, I why do I feel guilty about this, about doing this when I was a kid to my sister or something? Why do I feel bad? Because you were made in his image. So mentally you create, you have logic, you think, you make choices. We paint, we do things, we build things. It's the image of God. And then we have this sense of a moral obligation, this compass that's inside of us that's like, why can't I just do things and not care? Because you were made in God's image. The third one's the one I wanna focus on today. And it's the one we wanna talk about when we think about parenting and family and not being alone. And it's from a social aspect, we look like God in that Father, Son, Holy Spirit in perfect relationship for eternity. God says, yeah, let's give them that. Let's make them like that. And so why do you want to know other people? Why do you want to be known by other people? And I mean known like, yeah, I know him, not that, but I know him, I know his faults, I know his weaknesses, and man, I love that guy. Really, you know, that kind of knowing where somebody cares for you, notices you, enjoys you, wants to be around you, where did that come from? God says, yeah, I put that there. That's why you want to know why you feel this 
And why you keep trying to find so many substitutes to fill it in and fix it? Because I put it there. That's me. That's me in there. But then, so this other part, and I, I, I love seeing this, and it was kind of a new thing for me because I always thought this is just about marriage. The next phrase, it is not good that the man should be alone. I'm going to make a helper fit for him. And if you do any basic study of this passage, it has nothing to do with like, I need somebody to help me and do stuff around the house. And you know, I'm going to be, it's not that at all. It's like they're two halves. And God says, yeah, you have like a big half of you that's missing. I'm going to make another half and you're going to complement each other. And it's going to represent me. It's going to be the image of God in both of you. And so God says, it's not good to be alone, but it's beyond marriage. It's bigger. This is a banner statement over all of creation, over the whole world of God saying, you want to know what it means to be human, what it means to be made in my image? Here's eternal truth that not only is life and death, but I'm willing to sacrifice, to make it happen. And it's this, it's not good to be alone. So here's a family. This is God's heart for the world is to be in the family of God. C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Great Divorce. And in it, people are going to hell on a bus. So they're getting on the bus and that bus is going to hell. And they're standing in lines and everybody's irritated and angry and mad when somebody's in front of them. They're talking, they're trying to decide about what's gonna happen. But the interesting thing is they arrive at this train station, they get off and they're like, oh, this is great. This is no big deal. And I think I'll live here. They end up living next to somebody else and they start fighting and arguing. And the person says, I'm gonna move. And they move further out. They live next to somebody else. And he says, when you live here too, you can just think and create a new house. And so they're like, I don't wanna live with you either. I'm going further. I'm going further. And so in his kind of this allegory basically about hell, he is saying that hell is forever isolation, loneliness. Nobody wants to live next to anybody. And the one guy's excited when he's there. He's like, oh, sweet. Maybe I get to meet some of these people that I think are in hell, like Napoleon and Genghis Khan. He's like, where are those guys? And they're like, they live so far. It would take you light years to get there because they kept moving. Again, nobody is together. It's all alone, isolation. And that is not the only way to describe hell, but it is certainly something you can pull from scripture that says hell will be separation and isolation and loneliness. So the whole idea of like, oh, I'll be with all my friends. It'll be great. Nope. The Bible doesn't say that. It says separated, lonely, isolated. And God says, that is not my way. I don't want that. I want family. So where does God come up with the idea for being together, for that desire that you have to know somebody, to have people that love you and care for you no matter what? It's right here, Genesis 1, Genesis 2, it's his plan. And it's a great plan. Having a family, having kids, it's wonderful. But if I could give you two words to describe how I have felt about being a dad, here it is, joy and terror afraid, that last part of just, I don't want to mess this up. I don't want to mess them up. So question, if God came up with this idea, how can he help me with my little family? How can he help me if I've messed up? 
if I've not done well. If I look back on our parenting and our kids and our kids are long gone and grown and out of the house and our kids have kids and it's just a mess and nobody knows who to get together with at the fam, you know, Christmas and holidays. And is there any help? Yes. Yes. In God's family. And some, even if you're like, well, I'm not married. I don't know if I will be. And I had a pretty rough childhood. And so I'm not sure. Jesus says, just look, look at scripture as a window to your soul. Let's look at two sets of parents Let's let the Lord look at our hearts and hopefully find some encouragement uh, as we look at part 37 of parenting. Genesis 4, uh, here's our first, here's, this is the first family, the very first family, the first parents. Ready? Go. How are you going to do? Genesis 4, verse 1. Adam knew Eve, his wife. She conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. I don't think she said it that way, but I like to read it that way. <laughs> Look what I did. Um, in verse two, again, she bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, Cain, a worker of the ground. So the first parents and the first family right here, you are cordially invited to a baby shower for Eve. She is expecting a boy. You know, they were hopeful. You know that we have like hindsight, we can look and we can see the whole story, but Adam and Eve, his parents, they were like, this is going to be awesome. This is going to be great. So imagine little Cain, little Abel, they're cute, runny noses, need their diapers changed, running around, learning about the world. It's brand new. Everything's brand new. Hey, what's your kid's name? Well, this is Cain. He's our sweet boy. And this is his brother, Abel. Look at them. Don't they love each other? Don't they just, and you're like, yeah. And we're looking at it going, it's like a car crash about to happen. It's in slow motion. You're like, no, it's going to crash. We look at this and you know, you, so you have all the images and imagine like even in Sunday school with flannel graph, I remember like the, the classic, however, they tried to communicate that with us as kids about Cain killing his brother Eve. Cause you have the first family and the first murder. Yay! Ooh, not so good. But I remember it's like, it was this image of like, you know, Cain's like raising up with some animal jawbone or something and there's Abel. Bad news, right? Here's the question I had this week as I looked at this story and thought about them as the first parents. Where are the parents? What are Adam and Eve doing? What did their parenting look like? Did they mess up? Did they not say some things they should have said? Did they not know the verse, train up a child in the way that he should go and he will not depart from when he gets, like, did they not know all this stuff? Had they not been to the classes? What were they doing? Adam speaking to Cain, Cain, we do not make fun of Abel's sheep. Abel, I know your brother likes vegetables, but don't make fun of him. Were there small statements, little things they said to them to try to encourage them to love each other? You know, if Adam and Eve could have written a memoir to other would-be parent, parents, maybe it would have been titled, Parenting Cain and Abel, good luck. <laughs> have fun. Also known as Parenting After the Fall, which is all of us, all of us, Parenting After the Fall. So we went, uh, we decided to travel a little bit over Christmas and we went to that awful place, MSP, also known as the airport, over the holidays. Don't recommend that. Thousands of people, thousands of angry people 
Nobody with a lot of holiday cheer, everybody looking for a way to make the line shorter. Caleb and I were standing there in line and it was like an hour and a half line just to go through security. There was another line over here. People were trying to fix their tickets and there were these two brothers and it's clear they were going snowboarding. They had their stuff and their gear and they're trying to carry it around. And man, they were at each other. And one of them was like, no, you dumb bleep. Why don't you ask dad? And we were like, okay, Merry Christmas. <laughs> but part of us looks at that and says, yeah, I, I recognize that. I recognize that. I could easily be there. What were Adam and Eve doing on the morning of the day that could have prevented Cain from going to find his brother Abel to kill him. We don't know. What we do know, if you keep reading in Genesis, is that God steps in to parent a little bit. God's actually talking to Cain. God is talking to Abel. We hear him saying, Cain, listen, buddy. Sin is right there at the door. It's crouching. It's ready to get you. You must master it. We also can infer from the sacrifices that they brought Abel brought the very best of his flock. It wasn't that it was an animal, but he brought the best and Cain brought, oh, yeah, here you go. So there's something about what they brought that wasn't acceptable. What Cain brought wasn't acceptable. It was, and so there's a heart thing going on. So God is leaning in, but we all know the story. Cain didn't listen. And we don't have to go far to identify with this and to connect with this. Like it's actually, oh yeah, that's close to home. It's our own experience, our own siblings maybe, our own children. We resonate with this. And so the temptation is to think Adam and Eve were just doing it wrong. They didn't read the right books. What's the truth though? And this is important to start here. What's the truth about Adam and Eve as the first parents and Cain and Abel? Cain and Abel are as fallen and sinful as their parents. And apart from God stepping in and doing something, it leads to this. Apart from God's intervention, they will both choose to rebel and resist. Which means that every parent and every child, apart from an intervention of God, is without hope. So first place to start, we have this bent in us, this inherited DNA, spiritual DNA from our spiritual parents. We will choose sin. We will choose death. And actually you see Abel is killed. His blood is on the ground. And God says, Cain, where's your brother? And he's like, am I my brother's keeper? He says, your brother's blood is speaking to me. What did Cain's blood or Abel's blood say? Death, sin, destruction. So are we without hope? Are we just left to it? Good luck. Hope your kids turn out okay. Or does God have something to say that gives us hope in our parenting and our families? So let's look at another set of parents, the ones I introduced to you on the screen. Matthew 1 verse 18. The reason I picked these two is because the first Adam, there needed to be a second Adam to fix what was broken with the first. And Jesus is called the second Adam. And so that's why we went there. Mary and Joseph are the parents. Verse 18, Matthew 1. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, so engaged before they came together, she was pregnant. What? 
Okay? Don't read that in all churchy language. All right? This is, you were engaged, you're pregnant, it isn't me. What the bleep is going on, Mary? Okay? Her husband, Joseph, being a just man, he's a good guy, he's unwilling to put her to shame, decides divorce. Quiet, but divorce. That's it. We're done. And probably most of our world, we're all like, yeah, that's how it works. Brokenness. Stuff not working, just get a divorce. What does God say? Wait, just, just wait. I'm gonna do something. As he considered these things, verse 20, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, wait, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. That which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Now you may think, well, this is Mary and Joseph and they get Jesus as a kid. That's not fair. They're going to succeed. He's God, right? But... I want you to see it as a source of hope. It should be the source of hope for you because, let's watch one more clip and I'll explain. Ready? Uh, uh. Are you seeing this? Ready? Ready? Maybe the wife could come and help. No, there isn't any time. We've got no, this. No, 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 I don't want you to see me like this. Slow, slow, slow. Uh, slow. Oh. Mary, look at no, me. No, 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 I can wait. I just go get someone. Don't look over there, Mary. Look at me. We are not alone. I'm so scared. Remember what your messenger said. The first thing your messenger said. It was the same thing my messenger said to me, remember? Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I love you. I love you. Thank you for taking care of me. God gave you to me. He has been our help. And in the shadow of his wings, we will sing for joy. A song of David. Can I hear yours now? <laughs> oh. oh, I know, I know. Oh. It is time, yes? So if Joseph and Mary could write, also write a memoir, theirs would be parenting Jesus, we're not alone. We are not alone. And I added with, and I think that's uh, what I love about this scene. And this was the one, if you heard me talking about at Christmas Eve about, uh, I watched this episode. It's on YouTube. You can find it. It's the chosen, their new Christmas special. But 
I was on my knees and on my face and just crying at this point because you have both the supernatural, awesome announcement from the angels in the hills and you have Joseph and Mary kind of looking at it from a distance. We're not even experiencing that. And he's like, Mary, look, look. And she's like, no, you look. (laughs) My water just broke, let's go. Like it's, this is happening. It's time. We are not alone. They're afraid though. Whenever you hear do not fear in the Bible, what does that mean? Somebody's afraid. (laughs) So don't ever hear that as rebuke. It's it's an encouragement. It usually means you are afraid. Do not fear. God recognizes it. So a son was born. The first Adam and Eve had the first two kids, Cain and Abel. That first son, his blood spoke death. How does God fix this? Again, verse one, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Jesus. He will save his people from their sins. What does his blood speak? Hebrews 12 tells us to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. The blood of Abel speaks death. The blood of Jesus speaks life. God brings hope and help and says, you're not alone. You're not left to fend for yourselves. It turns time on its head reverses the curse, steps into the mess with us. I love that contrast of let's clean up this place, the dung and crap on the floor, and we're having a baby and there's angels out there, but I don't even know what's going on. I'm afraid I don't want to do this. Let's get somebody else. Let's not. I think that is an accurate representation of what it means to walk with Jesus, what it means to parent with Jesus to live out the family of God. Mary and Joseph got to parent Jesus. You get to parent with Jesus. So a few windows into our part 37, 38, 39, 26, whatever. Trying to say there is like, hey, no expert here, imperfect parents that we are. I didn't ask permission from my kids, but they had to figure that I probably would talk about them a little bit today since it's on parenting. So, hey kids, I'm talking about you just a little bit. Um, So the temptation with parenting is to lock them in a room, put goldfish on the floor and let them out when they're 19. Because it's just too hard and let's play worship music over loudspeakers and just hope everything turns out okay. And the Lord's like, yeah, that's not how it works. It is possible to force behavior to create well-behaved Christian-looking kids. Anybody seen that story play out? What happens when they leave? See ya. I'm done with that. Because the heart wasn't changed. The heart didn't become something that then reflected fruit from Jesus. And so often, Lisa and I have talked about this, we have felt like, I think we're just making this up as we go. Parenting, like each day is like, yep, we maybe made that up. I don't know, how'd we do? Oh, that was new. Making it up as we go. And so here's just a few thoughts um, that I will kind of just share from our stuff. I hope that they're an encouragement and not as a, okay, I better do that. I don't know if you should or not, but I want to give you a window into saying, here's how we have parented with Jesus and how it has, we hope is doing the right things. We'll see what happens. Um, But train up a child in the way he should go. There is a way. There is a path to following Jesus. The best way to get your critters to walk on it 
is to walk it yourself with joy. Let them see you in love with Christ. You could just say, this is the path. You better walk in it or you're going to get in trouble. But you could also just say, show them by your own life that you are walking that out. Show them Christ. He wins hearts. He changes behaviors. Not you, not me. I have in my pocket, this is uh, the hospital bracelet from Caleb. So it'll fit around my thumb. I keep it in my drawer. I pray. One of the ways I pray for him, remember to pray for him. He's very strong now, stronger than me. Plays hockey and soccer and this wouldn't fit anymore. But it's a reminder to me that he doesn't belong to me. That I am praying for him that God would continue to draw him, continue to be his man, that the Lord would have his heart. But it's a lot of prayer. And that's what I'm going to give you, a whole lot of prayer stuff. Let me show you another picture. There we go. So I have this app called Life360. And a few months ago, my youngest took her driving test. So the circle in the middle is me at the driving test facility. That's my location. And the other circle with our dog Nash as the picture is Abigail taking her driving test. I was watching my phone as she took the test, praying over the phone. As she got to that intersection, I was like, you know what to do, you know what to do here. Don't, don't slow down, don't do this. Okay, stop, don't, don't roll through that stop. Make sure you put your signal on, look over left, right. Just, uh, what else can I do? Lord, I can't be in the car. I can't take the test for her. I'm gonna pray over my phone that you would guide her. That was my moment of parenting. Lisa's praying as she was at work. We're both praying and just hoping, come on, Lord, do this. Maya Lynn, our oldest, who's now graduated from college, has a job. I remember getting the picture of her, her birth picture. She was thousands of miles away on the other side of the world, and we had a picture. And it was just a printed out from a computer, not even a very great quality. Her hair's like this, poof, you know, just little kind of this look on her face. And that's all we have. And what are we doing? We're longing to be with her. We're hoping to see her soon. And you know what I'm praying? Lord, is she, I remember laying awake at night praying for her. Is she alone right now? Does she need somebody to come pick her up in the orphanage? Will you sing to her? Will you tell her how much we love her? Will you tell her that she's fearfully and wonderfully made, that we're coming? Would you tell her we're on our way? You know what? She's only about 100 miles away now. Do you know what I'm praying? Same thing. Same thing. Lord, if she's lonely, would you tell her how much you love her? Would you tell her how much we love her? Would you protect them? Would you draw them? Would you be their wisdom? Would you be their discernment? Lord, would you help them make this decision? We have found that, and I, this is a phrase I've started using the last few months, parenting to me is about is a thousand handoffs. It's like, I'm holding this tight, and the Lord's like, you, you gonna let that go now? You gonna let it go? Let me help with this? Okay, there's a handoff, there's a handoff, there's a handoff, Lord, they're, they're yours, they're yours. I was asking Lisa this week also, what are some things that the Lord has put on your heart just to think through like some windows into our parenting. 
And she said this one, and it's such a good one. Don't be afraid to say sorry to your kids. <laughs> Saying sorry is okay. It's actually a really good thing. It'll probably be one of the most memorable things that you do. They may forget all the times when you had the perfect thing to say, but then when you mess up, and you know what it is to mess up. Like even in the moments of correction, when you think you're parenting and you're doing the right thing, you're correcting them for doing something wrong, but you get that edge in your voice. Just something that's there and the Lord's like, eh, what's that? Go to them. Hey, I wanted to talk about this. This is still important, but the way I did that is so wrong. I'm so sorry. Humble yourself, get low. The second thing Lisa said too was that seasons are okay. There are gonna be different seasons with your kids. There'll be certain times of their life when they need this and another time when they're gonna need a different type of parenting. And all three of them are gonna be absolutely different. All three of our kids have needed different parenting and different approaches from us in every single situation. <clears throat> The other part, and this is something that you've heard me talk about around here. It's one of our first things that we talk about when you're thinking about your relationship with Jesus. It's that he's in the room. And I, hopefully we have lived this out. We try to, but we just try to imagine as if Jesus is in every room with us. He's at the dinner table with us. He's on the, when the changing table. He's at the doctor. He's at school. He's, he's not at church only. Yes, he's there when we gather as a corporate body, but mostly he's just right here with us in our house. And we need to ask him what he thinks about this and what he would want and what would he be leading us to do? What did the Lord say to you? How is he leading you? Anything he put on your heart? He's with us. He's near. He understands. And this may seem too simplistic and I might be criticized for a lack of reverence, but Jesus is a member of our family. He's in charge of our family. He's the head of our family, but he's a member of our family. He has, like he has a seat with us. We love him. He's with us. He's God in the flesh. Still, do you know that? Jesus, when you meet him, you know what you're going to see? Scars in his hands. Proof that he was here. Proof that the stories were real. That he really did rise from the dead. He conquered death which should send us a clear message that he's able to help us in our time of need as parents. The other thing I want to say is to those who think, man, I just, that's great. If I had to do it over again, I would try some of those things. And you think, oh, this is too, mine was, or my childhood was horrible. There's nothing, nothing can fix. It is never too late with Jesus. Never. And so your kids may have kids and God may put something on your mind today that you think, I should have done that with more gentleness. That was harsh. I was harsh. Call them. Call them. Probably blow them away. Will it fix everything in a moment? No. Of course not. But is it right? Is it you walking the way of Christ? Is it you walking the way of Jesus, humbling yourself and saying, look, he's showing me this. I want to share this with you. Yeah. Call him, say, I love you. Even if that was not something you did very often. We've met, I've met people, I've had people sit in my office who said, we never said it. 
We never heard it. Call him. I love you. Say, I should have done this or that with gentleness. The other thing, and I would say this is probably one of the most important. Talk about your own present struggle with sin. Current. Not, yeah, when I was a kid and I didn't know any better. Like, if your kid's struggling through something, show them a part of you the last week where you had to submit to Jesus and you had to say, ah, Lord, I'm struggling here. Pride, whatever it is, giving in to anger, giving in to temptation. I'm so sorry. It will go much further than your perfect speech. Show them your struggle. And here's my last. Stand in the hallway at night when they sleep. And I do this, not every night, but often. And I put my hand on the wall. And I know like, Abigail's behind this wall, Kayla's behind this wall, Lisa's behind this wall, Maya's way up there in the cities. But, but I'm praying and I'm like, Lord, I can't do this. I can't change their hearts, but you can, you can. And I've even been so bold as to say, so if it doesn't happen, this is on you. Be bold in those prayers. Ask him to move and to change the hearts. And I want to tell you something. He is going to answer. Reason I know that, it's a verse that Joe shared with us last week. And I just want to say this too. Uh, some of you need to experience the family of God. You look at your own families, you look at your own situations, you're like, ah, it's just been so difficult. I don't know how to enter into this. And God has provided people, friends for you here in your family I know we have, we have amazing parents, Lisa and I do, but they live really far away. <laughs> and so we get to talk to them some, but you know what? We've had some spiritual parents here. Joe and Mary Beth have been spiritual parents. They've sat in our house when we've been walking through things and we needed somebody who was older who could be a parent to us. That's a good thing. So Joe shared this verse last week, John 17. This is what Jesus wants. This is what he's asked for. I can guarantee you if he's praying for something, it's probably going to get answered. Wouldn't you think? Father, I want them to be with me where I am. I want them with me. So part of this whole thing of experiencing family, the goods and the good and the bad, the broken and the fixed is for us to see our need for Jesus, to see our need for his family. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for um, just a kind of a realistic and authentic picture in your word of people struggling to be parents and struggling to trust and being afraid and wondering if you were with them and second guessing and how can this be the way? And Lord, I think we've all had those moments. But I, I particularly this morning, Lord, want to ask that you would be our father, that you would come and minister to us. Lord, I pray for those who have kiddos that are not kiddos anymore. They're out of the house and maybe they're trying to figure out what does this look like for me to be a parent now? How can I go back and see you heal some things and restore some things, Lord, that you would speak to them. For those that need to be parented themselves or there are broken, unwhole places in them that need healing, Lord, I have fully convinced Jesus because I know that 
This whole thing ends with one big family in heaven living together, not living separate. Lord, all of us in your family, I pray God you would give them a reality, a taste of that today. Lord, we just open our hearts and hands to you, Lord, to say we are in desperate need of you, Jesus. Uh, Lord, we ask that uh, we would find our hope in Christ alone today and nothing else. Amen.